Hello everyone, and welcome to Novel. This is your host, Caleb Linville. Today I am excited to present to you episode 4 of When the Mountains Called by Shannon Baker. But first, some quick announcements. Novel is always looking for new, exciting, and thought-provoking stories to present on our podcast. If you have a story or a story idea that you would like to share with us for consideration for future seasons, please contact Novel at clinville at novelpodcast.net. That's C-L-I-N-V-I-L-L-E at novelpodcast.net. Or you can visit our website, novelpodcast.net, for more information. Have you ever wondered why we call French fries French fries? Or why something is the greatest thing since sliced bread? There are answers to those questions. Everything Everywhere Daily is a podcast for curious people who want to learn more about the world around them. Every day, you'll learn something new about things you never knew you didn't know. Subjects include history, science, geography, mathematics, and culture. If you're a curious person and want to learn more about the world you live in, just subscribe to Everything Everywhere Daily wherever you cast your pod. The man's name was Macario, he said, but to everyone he knew well, which was apparently everyone right after meeting them, it was just Mac. Call me Mac, Macario, Mac assured him, and you are A. It wasn't a question, but that's got to be short for something. This was a question. Andrew, he said, but then immediately wished he hadn't. He didn't know this man, however quickly he had learned his nickname. As he came closer, Mac looked him up and down, his eyes fixating on Andrew's left hand, which was fidgeting at the seam of his now-torn corduroy pants. Mac stopped in front of him, staring with bright green eyes and a face that was almost timeless, certainly younger than himself, Andrew thought, whose own face was now unshaven, whiskered white and running with grooved wrinkles from forehead to chin. On the other hand, Mac's eyes had only the crinkles formed from laughing, and though these were deep enough to suggest he did this recently and often, the rest of his face remained smooth and a deep tan. Closer now, even in the darkening night, Mac's body remained lit by the full moon rising overhead. Andrew studied his clothes, a backwoodsman's clothes, he thought, with tan work pants and a red-black flannel. Even these, though clearly worn, gave Andrew the feeling that they too were timeless, like Mac had worn them forever but hadn't needed to wash them once. It was a strange contradiction, but then again, everything was strange here. Death was strange, Andrew supposed, and he would leave it at that. All this time, the men stood there, neither saying anything. Finally, Mac adjusted his wide-brim hat, hoisted a black, bulky pack on his shoulders, stepped around Andrew, and started off down the path. After a moment, he turned. Aren't you coming, Tatsito? he asked. Seeing Andrew's confusion, Mac laughed, a deep, resounding belly laugh, genuine but unseated. Ha ha ha, he said, quiet one, though I guess Andrew is fitting. Seeing Andrew's face, Mac continued, You got called, didn't you, friend? Can't ignore the mountains, you know. I mean, you can. But when you hear the come and see, you'd be a fool not to go. Guess we all gotta learn that at some point in our lives. As for me, well... I'm no Andrew, 
but I'm a Vicario, which means blessing. Andrew let him talk, saying nothing. He didn't know what to make of this Mac, and he was even less sure he should be following him. But it was night, and he wasn't tired, and he had nowhere else to go. However strange this might be, this Mac character knew his way around, that much was clear. And even if he had an axe strapped to his belt, Andrew felt better about following this stranger than trying to wander through the woods to a different path that might not exist. This path headed straight to the base of the mountain in front of him, and Pearl would be there. She had to be. He would follow Mac until he got there, and then he would go off on his own. Yes, that would be fine. It was his daughter who had died, he said matter-of-factly, placing a steaming cup of something that smelled like chamomile in front of him. Andrew took a sip, and was surprised to feel the tip of his tongue burn. Pain here in this world, even the tiniest pinch was no less tangible, and sucked hard notes of sweet apple between his cheeks to dispel the sudden heat. They were in Mac's cabin, having walked only another fifteen minutes to the base of the mountains. Mac had ushered Andrew in without asking if he'd even wanted to enter. A tea kettle already sat on a rusting black stove top, and Mac had grabbed a pack of matches on the wooden mantel, lit the kettle, and four lanterns that hung from iron hooks only inches above Andrew's head and along the wall, and swung his pack down before grabbing mugs. He did all this by simply pivoting. Everything in the tiny kitchen was practically at an arm's length from where Andrew had slumped at the small rickety table in the center of the room. Soon, the kettle was whistling. Andrew had taken his first scalding sip, and Mac had resumed talking, having only whistled in high, cheery tones during the walk from their meeting spot in the woods. It was his daughter who had died, Mac said again, as if Andrew had asked. But he said it in the same manner and breath in which he had told Andrew that he had chamomile tea, having not yet taken off his jacket, having not even removed his boots. It was my daughter who died. Foyer information. Necessary when inviting Andrew in. That information not always be commonplace to ask for, but expected all the same. Like where the bathroom might be. Across the kitchen, left door. And just as that, the bathroom location wouldn't need elaborating. Neither did Mac elaborate on what he said. Instead, pouring himself a bubbling mug of water dropping in a teabag and settling into the chair across from Andrew, who remained silent. So small was the kitchen and the table in the middle of it that the two men, leaning forward over their cups, could have knocked heads. Instead, Mac took a sip, smacked his lips, leaned back in his chair and sighed. Andrew waited, but Mac only stared at the ceiling, fixating his eyes on the steady lamp burning in the lantern above his head. Andrew shifted in his seat. Mac had said it so casually, without batting an eye. It was my daughter who died. Nonchalant, still cheery even, a welcome. Across the kitchen, left door. Mac swirled the tea in his mug and swished what was in his mouth against his cheeks. His eyes were closed now, his head still angled upwards towards the ceiling. It was my daughter who died. Andrew's thoughts swirled as he stared into his own mug into the soft orange-brown liquid trapped inside. He closed his eyes, pressing his lids together, willing his thoughts to not go there, not there, anywhere but there. But there they went, 
This image of the steaming mug and russet tea faded into the bright fluorescent lights of Pearl's hospital room, to the faded blue-knit blanket her sister had brought in a few months before when the chemo had first begun. Pearl was curled up beneath it, her body small under the fabric, her soft hands clutched to her chest, her head angled on the thick white pillow. The pink and blue floral bandana obscured what Andrew knew was beneath. Only a few blondish wisps of hair that used to be thick and carefully braided each morning before the garden was pruned. She was asleep, her lashless eyes standing out against her translucent temples, even while closed. Her mouth was slightly open, as it was when she fell asleep in the middle of the day, something she did more and more towards the end. In these times, because he was always there for them, Andrew liked to pretend she was singing a song. One of her work songs, the one she'd hum while pulling up turnips, or, if it was autumn, canning apples. In those last weeks, the ones spent in the hospital, he supposed she would be singing those boots are made for walking, because it was canning season. He kept a fresh jar by her bed, one he had canned all by himself, though he knew pearls would have been crisper, cleaner, better. But at least she could smell it, and it might remind her of home. He hadn't wanted to spend those last weeks that way, trapped in the hospital, and he knew Pearl didn't want to be there either. That was what killed him, really, thinking about what she must have thought, thinking about how she'd rather be curled up in a blanket in the nylon hammock stretched between the two apple trees, sipping sweet tea out of a long straw, even if it meant she'd die faster. She wanted to die fast. She'd told him herself. If she couldn't live the way she wanted, pulling weeds, crossing streams, climbing mountains, she at least wanted to die the way she wanted, at home, however short a time that might turn out to be. But there was a chance, the doctor said, and so she was there, in the hospital, a fragile bird trapped beneath heavy blue cloth always. No time outside, just the slightly open window, and, if they were lucky in the sticky heat of July, a soft breeze across their sweating necks. Ultimately, Pearl was a good sport. That was no surprise. And it was often she who was encouraging Andrew, not the other way around. He kicked himself for that now, but it was true. Sweet, optimistic Pearl, so sure it would get better. So sure that the doctor would let her go home. Because that's what she wanted and she'd been sure to tell him. Andrew had moved past blaming the doctors. They weren't cruel, and they treated Pearl the best they could in those stale white rooms. He thought they should have known to send her home, but he also knew they, like Pearl, were optimistic. They, like Pearl, thought it would get better. And so they, like Pearl, were the ones proven wrong. While the doctors grieved their error, Andrew grieved his wife. He sleepwalked through the funeral, sour notes of these boots were made for walking still trapped on his tongue, drowning out hymns like, Blessed Assurance and How Great Thou Art. 
he only barely felt the comfort of the townspeople that had come. Almost not registering the men's hands that squeezed his shoulder, the women's cheeks that pressed to his chest when they hugged him. He didn't eat, he didn't sleep, and he didn't cry. When they placed Pearl in the backyard under her hammocking apple tree, he didn't watch. He didn't want to watch his wife move underground to a place she'd never been before. Instead, he'd stared at mountains across the valley, the ones Pearl had loved to climb, and the river that sparkled between them, bright and shining, defying the darkness of the day. Tosito? Mac's voice drifted down, the mountains still pasted in Andrew's mind, and became a breeze that dissolved the snow-dusted peaks. Mac's eyes were no longer on the hissing lanterns above, but instead glazed at Andrew, wide and searching. You came to the mountains to find your pearl, yes? Andrew nodded. Mac swallowed the rest of his tea and peered at the bottom of the cup, as if more would suddenly appear. When it did not, he made a small noise and rose from his chair, turned to the stove, and poured more hot water from the kettle. If you were called, said Mac, his back to Andrew, then you gotta answer. He collapsed back into his chair, raising a full mug to his lips. Just before taking a sip, he paused, his eyes visible over the rim, locked on Andrew's. And I'll help you. Andrew frowned. Did he really want this man's help? He didn't know Mac at all, and though he was hospitable enough, Andrew hadn't had prolonged company since Pearl had died. Christmases, which they usually spent with Pearl's family when they'd come to town, became a drudgery for Andrew because in the midst of the tinsel and hot cocoa and Pearl's nieces sledding down the hills beyond their little house, Andrew felt only the ache of Pearl's absence. Pearl's family quickly realized his adversity to the Ferrisits, and as the years passed, they perfected their excuses to explain why they couldn't make it that year. Cece might have the flu, Jordan's ballet recital got moved a week earlier, Uncle Jay is moving apartments this week and we have to help. The excuses weren't very creative but the delivery was the essential balance between apology and matter-of-factness. And besides, Andrew didn't care to see them, or anyone else, either. They knew it, he knew it, and eventually the whole town knew it, so there wasn't any use in pretending otherwise. As the years passed, nobody visited Andrew. Nobody asked why he didn't come into town for festivals or community events the way he used to with Pearl, and nobody made any further attempt to understand or alleviate his loss. And now, this timeless lumberjack of a man wanted to help him find Pearl? He had already exhausted his tolerance for other people's company by walking with Mac to this house and drinking tea with him. Andrew wasn't much for talking, but then again, Mac seemed okay with that, or found it endearing, having named him Tocito. So if Mac wanted to talk, Andrew kept quiet as he preferred. Was that truly an issue? Besides, Andrew didn't know his way around the mountains. That had been Pearl's forte, not his. In the few times he'd accompanied on her adventures, he'd kept his eyes to the ground most of the time to keep from tripping, hardly looking around enough to get any helpful sense of the topography of the region. Plus, he wasn't sure how far downriver he'd floated, certainly far enough that nothing had been recognizable, and he couldn't even see his house. He had the funny feeling too, though he hadn't acknowledged it until now, that he was somewhere very far from home whatever that meant. He wasn't a man to dwell on the unknown, so he pushed the thought from his mind. Mac's chair scraped against the faded planks on the floor as he stood up. 
He whistled as he scooped up Andrew's virtually untouched tea and his own empty mug, dumping them in the sink. He turned back to Andrew. We'll start in the morning, he said. It's going to be a long day. Andrew couldn't help himself. How exactly will you be helping me? He asked. You don't know Pearl. Mac laughed, deep and hearty. A man doesn't gotta know another man's Pearl to help him look for her, he said, winking and reaching overhead to switch off one of the lanterns. He's just gotta have the heart to do it. He switched off a second lantern, throwing the kitchen dining room into half-darkness. The glow of the lanterns along the wall illuminated a small room, from what Andrew could tell, the only other room of the house, across from the kitchen. One of them mountains called you, you say? Mac's face was cast in shadows, but his eyes shone with a blue light. Then I suppose we gotta figure out which one. He paused, then... There's a little bed back there. You can sleep there if you like. I don't myself mind the floor. Andrew felt his arms and legs tingle, and then sink with heaviness. Pain, fatigue, these were still possible in death? If death was eternal rest, as Pearl and her friends from church had claimed it to be, then why was everything still so tangible? Andrew absentmindedly itched his ankle where the corduroy rubbed. Didn't make sense. Off you go, said Mac, switching off the second-to-last lantern. Andrew rose from the table and shuffled a few steps to the doorway at the back of the kitchen. Sure enough, a twin bed with a thick navy quilt was squished into the small cubbyhole, hardly big enough for the bed itself, much less anything else. His joints sinking, Andrew sat on it at the edge of the bed. The mattress was soft and inviting. As he let the rest of his body sink into it, he was reminded of his last sleep, and the gentle cadence of the river as it flowed around him, enveloping his hands and feet carrying him along with the current. His hands curled around the quilt, pulling it to his chin like the water that had lapped at the neck as he'd floated downstream the day before. So gentle, so soft it had come, and he had let it. Okay. As his head hit the pillow, Andrew heard Mac's voice ring out from the kitchen. Stirring across the surface of the river, he felt himself returning to his sleep engulfed him. One of them mountains called you, you say? Then I suppose we'd better figure out which one. Thank you for listening to Novel. I hope you enjoyed this segment of our story. Please consider liking, subscribing, and reviewing the show to help the show grow, and also so that you don't miss out on the newest episodes. Thanks. This episode was read by Jonathan Keener. Written by Shannon Baker. With hosting, production, and original music by Caleb Linville.